Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with episode 504 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here with a special edition of the show. As we noted last week, we had some major plans for episode 500 of getting over those did include a sit down interview with none other than the American dragon, Brian Danielson also scheduled for that show was a sit down interview with none other than the megastar L a Knight. And unfortunately due to unforeseen circumstances, that interview did get delayed, but we are proud to bring it to you today as the silver King, Adam Silverstein and vintage Chris Vanini sit down two on one with L.A. Knight. That's all going to be coming up for you in a moment. First here at the top of the show, allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. For episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You also, by following us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, have the opportunity to vote in pre- and post-show polls surrounding premium live events. And our latest one that we will be covering is, of course, WWE Fastlane coming up this Saturday. So we'll have a poll before the show and one after. We want you to vote in it. And your thoughts, your opinions will be considered in our WWE Fastlane Instant Analysis Podcast coming Saturday night as soon as that show goes off the air. Let me also remind you that right here on Getting Over, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for just $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up. What will you get, you might be asking? Well, you will get instant reaction audio to all of the four major shows, Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown, as many times a week as I possibly can. And you will get exclusive news posts as well. All of that is just bonus content, though, because really the hope is that you sign up and become official Getting Overhead to support the continuation of this podcast, to support The Silver King, and to support Vintage. Speaking of vintage, allow me to welcome him into today's show. And Chris, you know, we've done a lot of interviews here uh, on Getting Over, and there's certain names that we have on that list. You know, it's uh, Triple H. I've been trying to get that for a long time. Obviously, Vince McMahon, that'll probably never happen. And John Cena and The Rock and and so on. But I got to tell you, Brian Danielson and L.A. Knight were right near the top of that list in terms of achievable interviews that we have wanted to be uh, getting for a long time. And obviously a little hiccup, you know, in terms of being able to celebrate episode 500, but the fact that we were able to do what we did with Brian and now here today, we're thrilled to bring everyone this interview with LA Knight. It's just uh, fantastic. And, and thank you in this particular case, obviously, to WWE for making that happen. Uh, but what kind of were your thoughts going into our conversation today? Well, first, I was just happy to have him. He he was the perfect person to get for episode 500 originally planned. Mm-hmm. Someone, you know, you and I agree on a lot on this show. One of the things we, for a for a bit of time, disagreed on was L.A. Night. And I, I know we don't need to rehash the whole thing, but that kind of made it fun for him to be yeah. uh, 
get him for an interview and to get him at a spot in his career where he's getting pushed to the moon and stuff like that. He's his career, his trajectory coming at the time where our podcast, I think is hitting its stride was, was very cool. And just looking forward to talking to him, talking to him about some questions that aren't the same usual stuff you've heard in all the other interviews he've done. I, I think we, we um, talked to him about some stuff other people uh, wouldn't. It, it was difficult to actually do that because they have put him, they being WWE, so front and center, and rightly so. I mean, the guy is over like Rover right now. And if you are going to uh, be pushing anyone strong and, and getting them out in the media and you maybe don't have the time, right, with, let's say, Roman Reigns uh, or perhaps even Cody Rhodes or Seth Rollins' schedule is incredibly booked, there's really no one else that people want to speak with more than L.A. Knight. And he has done, you know, just to be fair and candid, probably, I don't know what, 10 podcast interviews, probably more, maybe 15 uh, over the last four months or so. Uh, So when we sat down to do this, you know, it was a concerted effort from us to not ask him the exact same questions that he's been asked. Now, some of them are avoidable or unavoidable, I should say. What does it feel like to be at this moment in your career? You know, how exciting is it? All those types of things. Uh, But really beyond that, uh, I was thrilled with the way um, that he was just so open in this conversation. And really, we should save some of our uh, retrospective looks for after you guys all hear the interview. But I did just want to kind of point out here off the top that you and I had a great time uh, interviewing him. It was fun, jovial. And I think that really comes across in our conversation. So, hey, look. Let's not waste any more time. I just laid it up for you right there. Uh, Our two-on-one sit-down conversation with none other than WWE's megastar, L.A. Knight. Thrilled to welcome L.A. Knight to the show for the first time. You can catch the megastar Friday nights on SmackDown, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on Fox, and this Saturday at WWE Fastlane. When he teams up with John Cena to fight what's left of the bloodline live from Indianapolis, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on Peacock. Great having you here, man. Thank you so much for making the time today. That's a pretty crazy rundown that you just had right there. I mean, just thinking about where we were a year ago. And yeah. now it's uh, me and John Cena against the uh, the bloodline. So uh, who knows? You're talking about what's left of the bloodline and maybe there won't be anything left after Saturday. We'll have to see. Well, that's the exact question. So you have this huge match coming up right at Fastlane that I literally just mentioned, uh, teaming with Cena against Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. And certainly that feels to most people like a precursor to a particular title match that I know fans are itching to see sometime down the line, just to kind of take your temperature on the entire situation. What does it feel like to be in the midst of this kind of run on this kind of stage? I know previously you had mentioned Five wrestlers who you'd love to work with at some point. Cena was one of those names. Now you're actually working with him. How does it feel to be in that spot? Right? Um, well, you know, I mean, I mean, looking at this whole thing, uh, I, the only thing I can focus on is uh, just Saturday coming up because I mean, it's such a huge, it's such a huge turn of events if you're really looking at it. But at the same time, it's also just a, an enormous opportunity for me to claim my spot and me to kind of uh, make the mark that I've known that I needed to make for a long time. Um, so, you know, we're, we're checking boxes, I guess, in a certain sense, but at the same time, it's still just me trying to make this climb because nobody was trying to strap a rocket to me. Nobody was trying to give me that push. I did it all myself at this point. So, uh, at, at this point, it's just a matter of everybody's recognizing it and, uh, here we are. So we're going to keep it going. How was your 
maybe life changed with this run. You go from just a couple of years ago doing Car Shield commercials, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine appearance, the video game work, and now you've got stadiums chanting your name, everybody in the airports yelling yeah at you. Just How does this reality compare to maybe what you envisioned when you first got into the business? Um. Well, that's that's a such a broad question because I, I never really knew what to expect. I, I think in a weird way, you you know, I had the machinations of like, you know, this it's gonna be huge and you know, they're gonna just welcome me with open arms and the doors are just gonna swing open. And uh, you know, none of that ever happened. Uh you know, I can remember the first day showing up to a wrestling school in my tank top, just thinking like, oh, they're gonna see my muscles and just want me right in. What an idiot 19-year-old I was. Um, cause you know, it just didn't work that way. Um, at the same time, I made sure to give myself as many advantages as I possibly could and still, still a hell of an uphill uh, climb. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's made a crazy turn and, and honestly, even though it's been a long, long road, it's been such a short, incredibly, uh, damn near record setting journey. If, if you look at just the last 10 months or 12 months or whatever. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think that we've ever seen anything like this and I don't, I don't look, if you get douche chills with me saying that, uh, that's too bad because <laughs> that's just how it goes. I mean, the, the bottom line is like, I, I don't think it's happened at least not without, you know, look, you, you've had Goldbergs and stuff like that. But again, you're talking about somebody who was slated to be in that position. Right. And here's a guy who who had none of that and, and and still was able to make it happen. So, like, again, I, I, I have to toot my own horn. So toot toot because I've been the only one tooting it for this long. So I will continue to toot all the way down the road. There's a organicness to this. I guess that's really what you're referring to. And yes, you know, there was that situation. wasn't manufactured. It wasn't right. created. It wasn't marketing. So when you got that opportunity, and I know Chris did want to ask you about this later, but it's a great opportunity to do it now. <laughs> Um, to make that transition, you've spoken about it, and I know you don't like getting into details, but from the Max Dupree to the LA night. And I guess my question is when that happened and when let's say Triple H or whomever informed you, Hey, we're going to make this change. And you know, you're going to go back to what you were doing that is more comfortable for you or was more comfortable for you and certainly more successful. We saw the run that you had in NXT. Was there a plan in place at that time or was it more, hey, you know what? Let's just make this switch. It's going to be better for you right now, and then we'll figure it out. And then it got so organically hot that it took everyone by surprise because a lot of fans are sitting here. We're like, man, why aren't they strapping the rocket? We like him. We're rooting for him. What's going on? It doesn't seem like it's that easy on the back end to just go ahead and change plans for someone that gets organically over the way you did. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're not factored in, then yeah, it's going to take a little time before things uh, kind of change over like that. And I think for me, it was just kind of like, all right, well, let, let's transition out of this other thing that, look, that wasn't me. It didn't fit me. Uh, I think that was pretty clear. Was I going to make the best of it? Sure I was. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think that many people knew that I fit much better in something that was much more me. Uh, and so that's what we ended up doing. And I think that maybe, maybe there was, if there was a roadmap in place, I was not aware of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it seemed like very quickly it had become, uh, okay, well, this guy's pretty good in the ring. He's pretty good on the microphone so we can use him to get other people over. Um, and in came a returning Bray Wyatt 
Um, and I, I think that it was uh, me used to kind of uh, bring him in and, and, uh, and look, look, it also gave me the opportunity to do what I needed to do. And, and so even though it was probably, and this is all my speculation, probably mostly mm -hmm. made for him, uh, I did my damnedest to make it about me. And I would say, uh, in hindsight, I succeeded. Speaking of, of Bray, you were given the microphone at the end of the SmackDown episode uh, to honor Bray after his passing. Um, what, what does it mean to you to have been a part of his last match? And, and what was that experience like working with him last winter? What was it? Well, look, I mean, everything that I said in that ring that night was was legit. I mean, I I, I didn't want to pretend like we were best friends. I mean, I had just spoken to him via text maybe like a week or two before he passed, and I had no idea that things were as serious and dire as they were. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty crazy to just consider that. And a lot of people kept bringing up, oh, he was his last opponent. I'm like, well, it's a weird thing to keep throwing at me. But uh, <laughs> um, but it, it was such a unique experience. It was such a different experience where, you know, it was a challenge in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you've heard people talk about how it's such a, 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 a different experience. It could be challenging. Some people even said, you know, you, you come out worse than you went in or whatever. And, and, and for me, it was just not that. And uh, I, I made the damn most of it. And, and he was, um, he, he was there along for the ride. I mean, he didn't, he didn't shut anything down for the most part. Everything was cool. So, you know, made it work. Speaking of that SmackDown promo, it really struck the right chord with a lot of people, how you deftly like intertwined the storyline that you ha guys had, the reality, obviously, of the situation, which was far more important in that moment. You're obviously like a sharp and verbose guy, but how difficult was it for you to go out there in that spot just compared to going out and cutting a normal promo on an opponent? Um, I'm very protective uh i'm i'm somewhere in between old school and new school um so i'm super protective of stuff i don't like to pull the curtain back on much uh so with that being the case i didn't want to go too far deep into it but at the same time i didn't want to disrespect what was actually really happening in that moment so it's like okay how can i walk the line to show the proper respect to what's happening and also show the proper respect to the business that I'm currently in standing in the ring of right now and make it all work uh, as best as possible. And so um, hopefully I did that service properly. Uh, some people say yes. Maybe there's some people who say no. I don't know, but uh, I did it to the damage to my ability. I'll tell you, it's a pretty resounding yes. So you should feel good about that. No question. Uh, certainly you're you know a veteran of the industry. So not to suggest that you're in need of significant direction or anything like that. But from Shawn Michaels and Triple H to recently working the segment with The Undertaker you mentioned, now John Cena, The Rock was backstage a couple of weeks ago. Have any of them taken you aside or have you bent any of their ears just to have conversations about what it's like to be in the position you're in, how to deal with that kind of soaring popularity or just tips and tricks on like how to navigate this part of your career? No, I mean, there's there's certain little things that I want to ask about um, <laughs> how I can just hide myself in different ways. How do you how do you, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Um, but uh, God, can you guys hear these lawnmowers that all of a sudden just showed up at the perfect time? 
I can't, but that happens every time we record the podcast. Yeah. Oh, so no, it's it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, fine, it's yeah. ringing my ears off right now. Yeah. I got leaf blower right outside here. No, you're good. Uh, you're good. Oh, remote interviews. How sweet. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I, I haven't really had that particular conversation. Um, I mean, I, I always kind of try to grab Hunter whenever I can and just kind of, you know, kind of get a litmus test of where things are going, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, cause I, I, I always need to know the direction, uh, cause that's going to dictate, you know, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I've never really had that conversation. Maybe it's a conversation I should have now they bring it up, you know, hey, as long as I'm, I'm here to help, man. So as long at as at the same can- time though, man, I am the type that I just am not going to want to bother people with that. I'm not going to want to, uh, Again, that that protection element comes in where I'm just like, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna not sweat this, or at least appear that I'm not sweating it, mm-hmm. uh, and that'll be good enough. And we'll figure it out. On my own. I, I mean, I've had to figure this whole damn thing out on my own anyway for 20 years. Like, I, right. you know, I I didn't have a dad in the business. I didn't have any friends in the business. I didn't have any of that stuff. So it was basically, you know, I'm gonna figure it out as I go, and that's what I did. And you know, maybe I was a late bloomer because of it. And uh, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it'll be to my detriment. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. We um, we'll figure it out. That's actually called a pretty good segue into a question because I was going to follow up about someone who maybe wasn't a best friend or maybe wasn't a dad, but he was your manager. And that's obviously Percy Pringle, just that tie with The Undertaker. Uh, Three years of your career for on and off, I guess he was by your side. Did you feel a level of pressure during that time, just given all the major names? I mean, even besides Taker that he worked with and if you had to kind of pinpoint it in some way, what would you say was the biggest impact that he made on your career? There's no pressure that I can recall feeling that much. Maybe at the very beginning when he first came in, maybe to, you know, just impress or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like after the first couple times, especially back then, I'll say at that point, I was about maybe seven or eight years deep, maybe seven, eight, nine years deep in the business at that point. And at that point, I had such a strange confidence in my abilities. <laughs> I almost look back at it and I'm like, man, I wish I was as confident as that guy. Because um, uh, at like 10 years deep, I was like, oh, there's nobody better. Um, and so in a weird way, and, and maybe that was hubris in some way, uh, but in some way I was just like, man, I was like, no, no, this is all hitting on right cylinders. And it felt like it was. Um, and so for me, working with him and being with him, we had an amazing chemistry. It was just like we fed off each other a lot. We always could kind of, we always knew where the other one was going in a certain sense, if you get what I mean. And, um, oh, good. Wow, that was quick. They are done already. See ya. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, but, but as far as, like, he was just really cool in the sense that, like, I didn't hit him up a lot for this. Because, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to just, like, I don't want to bother people with stuff like this. But I might, you know, I, I'd asked him for little bits of advice here and there or whatever. Because um, there was a point in time. So, okay. So a little quick story time, uh, yeah. 2008, yeah. I had a great opportunity. I went to, uh, I was brought in as an extra, uh, ended up getting slotted in a really good spot in a dark match. It was me in a tag match with like Gene Snitsky against crime time, which is unusual for them to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually getting to get in, like it wasn't a squash. I got in a lot of offense, stuff like that. Got to get some heat, all that. And it was like, Oh, cool. Okay. And they wanted to bring me back the next week. Well, <laughs> for one reason or another, my dumb ass showed up an hour late. Uh, to the SmackDown the next week. Uh, and I got in a lot, a lot, a lot of heat for that. 
And uh, they didn't want to talk to me for the next probably three, three years or so. And so I was just hitting him up like, man, I can't get a phone call. I can't get anybody to answer a phone, answer an email, nothing. And, you know, I'd ask him for little bits of advice and stuff like that, whatever. And he was so grateful and so thankful for that advice. And he would always just sing my praises. Um, and just like, it's, it's insane that you don't have a job, this, that, whatever. Um, and just, just the fact that he was so, you know, it was clear that not only was I not bothering him with it, but he was just so thankful for it. And I think part of that lends itself to a bit of the loneliness that he had. His wife had passed away, um, Mm -hmm. maybe a a couple years prior to that. Um, and I would always see his sad posts and whatnot. I think that's why he let he actually kind of like let the condition that he had just kind of take him because I think he was ready to go. Um, so um, that was kind of sad to know about and find out about because I didn't know about that until after everything had happened and he was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as just him being around, man, he was a funny ass dude to have, have, have around. He was always cracking jokes, doing goofy stuff. People would be cutting promos and he's behind the camera doing stuff, pulling his ass out, things like that. <laughs> just dumb stuff. So uh, just a great, great guy to have around. But at the same time, I couldn't really, he wasn't a guy who I could just be like, Hey man, can you get me a job? And also I wouldn't ask that. Cause like, that's such a burden to put on somebody like, right. Hey, can you, you know, flex that muscle and get me in. Now, if he would offer that, or if that was even something that he could have done, which I don't know, then okay, sure. But like to impose that on somebody, I don't know. That's just ain't my style. So it was that tenuous of a situation where you're late for one show and look, you know, you're not a signed talent, right? So you should be on time. You should be early, most likely. I'm not not I'm not here. To, I'm not here to criticize 2008 LA night. But no, there, there's a lot of stupid thoughts that go into it, and I could explain them, but it would take way too long. Okay, but I guess what I'm saying is, but it was that tenuous where hey, you made that one mistake, and back then they're just like, hey, look, if he's not taking it seriously, we're not taking him seriously. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, and and part of it was that I had uh, I had I had uh, separated my shoulder maybe like three three or so weeks before that. And so I was just walking around with all this pain. And so I kept trying to drive around and get checked out before I went in there, like little different clinics or whatever. I went to an emergency room, three hour wait. I was like, screw that. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Went to another place and sat in there and waited for 45 minutes. Finally, they called me back. They're like, our x-ray machine's down. I'm like, all right, forget it. I'm like, I'm just going to go to the gym and try and get a pump on. Because if you're talking 2008, like it was big ass dudes back then. I mean, I think Batista was the champion back then. Yeah. Everybody was huge. So I'm like, I can't go in there flat. I need a pump when I go in. So I pull up to this place. There's a, a little uh, physical therapy place next door. And I'm like, oh, okay, here's my last shot. I'm going to go in and see. And, and the girl hooked me up with everything. She probably worked on me for like an hour or so. And it just ended up taking longer than it should have. And I think at this point it was like 1.30, call times 2. And I'm like, ah, I can't go in there flat. I don't think they'll notice if I come a little bit late. Well, they noticed. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, and so when I showed up, I was just telling them, like, you, know, you know, I was getting my shoulder checked out. They're like, well, wait, so you're injured? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not injured, but it's kind of like I'm trying to. Tr- well, so if you're not injured, so I was painted into a corner as I should have been. Uh, it was a stupid decision on my part, yep. uh, and I recognize that. So that's a that's one time where I shot myself in the foot. But three years of not picking up the phone is a heavy, heavy punishment. You end up making it to NXT a little bit down the road for a little bit of time. That doesn't work out. <laughs> you have said that when the pandemic happened, you thought your career kind of might be at an end point. Sure. And then you'd kind of done everything else. Then this, another NXT opportunity came along. Were you wary of jumping back in considering how the first time went around or, or did you feel like this time going at NXT might be different? 
well, yes and no. And so, so that's the reason I actually had the opportunity to come back in 2016, 2017 and 2018. And I turned them down because uh, where I was working at the time was paying me double or triple the money, although I'd reached the ceiling there. Mm-hmm. So it, it would have, even though I was making more money and I was on TV there, nobody was watching that TV, if we're honest. I mean, it was <laughs> maybe an audience of like 200,000 or something like that. I watched it, I remember. But at the same time, it was like, you know, if I go back to WWE, all that was being promised to me is that I'd be going to the PC and I'd be making less money. And I'm like, look, I've been broke for a long time and I'm actually making good money for the first time ever. So, like, I'm going to hang here and just make this money for a couple of years. And I don't know that I'm ready to go back into that system with, like, nothing really set up where I'm already on TV making a name for myself and making money. And so... For three years, it was just like, hey, guys, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. And then finally, it was at a point where I'm like, all right, well, clock's ticking. And like, I feel good and young. And most people don't know that I'm the age that I am. But when people see that number on paper, oh, man, does it light some synapses up in people's Mm -hmm. heads. So, uh, you know, so that's where I'm just thinking like, all right, well, at some point, they're probably not going to touch me now. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if I can get that happening, I know I'm going to take a big pay cut. It's going to be a major lifestyle change for a bit, but that's on the bet that I can turn it into a lot more down the road because, again, I had already hit the ceiling where I was, and the ceiling in WWE is way up here. So it, it's it's just a it, it, it's betting on myself, believing that I can turn it into something, and and my whole thing was like, look, I can get in there, and if in three months I'm not getting over, send me home. And they're like, well, we'll give you six. And I'm like, I'm going to need it. <laughs> and, 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 and again, again, saying that, is that hubris? Is that crazy? Is that some sort of arrogance? I don't know. But for me, it's just a level of experience that I know that I've had going from different company to different company to different company and knowing that I can get absolute value out of, an intera- out of a, a reaction. So whether it's positive, negative, whatever, I know that I can go out there and make somebody make some noise. So I've long made the case, and this is something we've actually argued about multiple times on this podcast, that L.A. Knight, the gimmick, the character, didn't actually click for me until around Great American Bash. But then everything really came together, not just then, but then you did the double turn with Grayson Waller as a babyface. You took off from there. Chris over here was on board from the very start. And you said, hey, you just mentioned I don't need three months, you know, or I don't need six months. Just give me three. Well, for me, those first three, I was kind of like, hey, you know, I'm not really sure. So did you sense a change in the way the character was getting over around that time, Great American Bash, and then eventually the face turn? Or am I out on an island here and I'm just straight up wrong? See, I I would go to I would go to In Your House, which was just before Great American Bash, because there was that trilogy. We had what Mm -hmm. Cameron Grimes thing. We had In Your House. We had Great American Bash and we had uh, NXT 36. And I, I feel like that whole storyline gave me purpose. I didn't really have, right. at first it was kind of like, just go out there, let them get to know who you are, the, do your thing, whatever. And then eventually like, we'll figure out something to do. And then when that all happened, it was like, oh, okay, well now I actually have something to talk about and something to do and somewhere to go, which always is going to make everything way more interesting. Um, so I can completely see where you're coming from. At the same time, it's kind of like, even from day one, I was a sore thumb mm-hmm. in NXT um, because you're still, it was before 2.0, there was still kind of that holdout where it was more of the, 
I guess you call it like indie style or whatever kind of feel to it. And here comes this guy who's more, I've always been told I'm more of a TV wrestler. Like I was never really like a big indie name, so to speak, because I always came off. Like I didn't do crazy five-star matches. I'll probably, I'll never have a five-star match in my life. And I'm perfectly okay with that. For me, it's all about give me that connection. Let me go out and have a fight. Um, And so I've always been a TV wrestler. Uh, so in that environment coming in NXT, I think I stuck out like a sore thumb, but you go into that Cameron Grimes, uh, feud and I, and I think it was some of the best, some of the best matches I'd had in my run in NXT. I think he mm-hmm. and I just had an amazing chemistry and everything. And I mean, just the way he works and, and putting that together with like my style and his style, I think it was a good, a, a good mix. Uh, it, it, it was, yeah, but, but, but I mean that, that helped get the people to feel a certain way that when the 2.0 transition happened, boom, all of a sudden now a big fan favorite uh, and going into war games and all that. And, and with the Grayson Waller feud and stuff like that. So uh, that's when, especially when, when I started getting those big baby face reactions where it was like, okay, now, now we're on to something. If it's happening like this here, mm-hmm. it can definitely happen like this up on the main stage. Uh, and we just got to make that happen. The Cameron Grimes feud, uh, obviously for the million dollar championship, which you have behind you, which uh, you always do the interviews from the spot and it always stands out. What was that like to have that belt? Uh, so it's 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 crazy. When when I first signed, I, I made a whole list of goals. Year one, year two, year three, year four, all these things I wanted to do. And the funny thing is, a lot of times with these goals, you you, you all these things are, are tangible things that are in front of you. And you don't even think about something like this because it's not something that was really on the table to my knowledge. And all of a sudden this was presented. It was a thing that happened. And this is obviously not the real one because, I mean, that thing is worth so much money uh, between the collectible nature of it and also just the fact that there's literally one of them. It's made of real gold. Uh, there are actually three real diamonds on the back. The rest of it's all, I don't know if it's rhinestones or what it is, but the, the thing literally costs like, Ninety thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine. So if you adjust for inflation, it's like two hundred thirty thousand dollars now. Again, add in the collectible nature of it, it's probably over a million dollars. This is a replica, but I used this one on TV uh, at times when I could not use the actual real one. The real one was in this big case, like I mean, it had like cushions in it. There was like a cleaning cloth, and uh, about two or three security guards were always with the thing, except when I was taking it out to the ring or anything like that. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a serious deal because it's, it's a one of one literally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So this one I actually used on TV multiple times. If it was ever like a dangerous spot where the belt could possibly be, uh, uh, damaged or anything like that. Um, so yeah, this one, this one is legit in that sense that I did use it on TV uh, a handful of times. Sounds like they treated it a little bit like the Stanley Cup, which actually leads me to my next question here. So you've talked about the genesis of Dummy before in other interviews and yeah, uh, yeah, and all your catchphrases. But I'm curious about L.A. Knight. How did that name come about? Is it just simply that it phonetically works like Eli Drake and it was different enough for WWE? Was there something specific behind it? Like, how did you come up with that or who came up with that? And what was the situation behind it? Uh, it's a conglomeration. Uh, I One way or another, I came up with L.A. One way or another, they came up with Knight. And uh, the rest of it's none of your damn business. Okay. So, Easy <laughs> enough. <laughs> y- your 
your uh, your recent feud with, with the Miz was kind of your first significant longer term babyface story on on the main roster. You two are obviously comp, well, like kind of the one you got a big focus. You guys have obviously been been comparable. And it, it felt like Miz was kind of challenging you in, in positive ways to prove yourself and, and take the next step. W- what did you learn working with Miz over these last couple of months? Mm. Um, I'll answer that question. Uh, I, I learned that uh, people's comparisons are very uh, one dimensional. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people be like, oh, they're. They're so similar. And I'm like, are we like, because we're just two white guys who are decent on the microphone. That's better. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, it was, I, I feel like it was one of the first times in this part of the run where I had somebody who was really uh, challenging me to be better uh, verbally, I guess, uh, to kind of outdo them because, uh, you know, usually I feel like, Again, toot my own horn. I feel like usually I'm I'm the one shining in that realm. Um, and, and in this in this point in time, I had somebody who was kind of on that same level with me. So now it's like, okay, well now how can I, you know, make that work and mesh in with that, but also maybe go above that or whatever. Um, there, there, there's a whole uh, artistry to this in a certain sense. So uh, it kind of pushed me to be better. There's a lot of talk always, and certainly more so under a different, let's call it creative structure than now, uh, about freedom on the mic and ability to cut promos the way you want, tell stories the way you want. How much freedom do you feel like you have? I know that there's obviously points you need to hit and you're telling a story and you got to make sure you nail all those individual items. But when you go out there, how much of that is LA night being LA night and how much of it is, all right, I got to make sure I touch on this, this and this. I have been very fortunate um, to get some trust in the sense that uh, I, I think it's whether it's my experience or whatever, even when I came in NXT, um, uh, they kind of let me do my thing. Uh, there have been some times where it's been like, hey, well, you know, what about this, this, what? And, and I'll, I'll take any uh, any suggestions, this, that, whatever. But at the same time, I got to I got to talk like me. So. Um, I'm much more comfortable that way if I kind of just have an idea of, okay, this is where I need to go. This is the amount of time that I have. Cool, let's do that. Uh, but if I got to remember a whole whole litany of, uh, you know, words that wouldn't be mine, uh, then we're going to have a rough time and you're not going to feel what I'm saying. You're not going to, I'm not going to feel what I'm saying. And so it's not going to connect. And so I, I, I've had a lot of, a lot of trust in the sense that I, I just think that enough people know now what I do, what I can do, what I have done to where it's just like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to say to start. Here's what I'm going to say to finish. What's the time? Okay, cool. I got you. And the makes, rest is me. Makes sense. Well, look, we really appreciate your time today. So let me get you out of here on this. So WWE fans, at least most of them these days, they know Adam Pierce as this untitled authority figure backstage. And as far as we're concerned, he's been knocking it out of the park for a few years now. But you have a career of experience with him. You wrestled him for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. What was it like working with him in the ring? And if I told you guys back then, let's say before you had that match and Percy Pringle was your manager for that, that all these years later, you'd be in your respective positions right now in WWE. How do you think you'd have reacted to that? 
look, I, I can't answer that question. I really don't know, but it is a wild, it's, it's like a wild scenario to consider. Yeah. And uh, we'll often send pictures, you know, back to like uh, Dave Marquez who, you know, ran championship wrestling in Hollywood and uh, you know, just, it, it, and I could see that he takes great pride in just seeing the both of us, you know, on this big stage and on that screen and whatnot. So it's, it's crazy to see that journey. There's so many people who I've uh, crossed paths with or, or worked with early in my career who now it's just like, you know, it just keeps, it's such a small world um, and you keep running into these people. So, you know, whenever people always say that the thing about like, you know, treat people well on the way up because you might see them on the way down or you know, you might see them again on the way up. I don't know. So it's, it's just, you keep running into the same faces a lot of times to where it's just like, you know, again, it pays to just kind of be a professional, do your thing, be cool. And, uh, Hey, don't be late. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, you can catch the megastar LA night Friday nights on SmackDown, 8 PM Eastern live on Fox. And as mentioned this Saturday at WWE Fastlane, he teams up with John Cena against Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa live from Indianapolis, 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock LA Night. Thank you so much for the time, obviously. Good luck this weekend and through the rest of your career, but hopefully we speak to you before that ends. Thank you, boys. I will see you soon. Man, that was an absolute blast. I I truly did love uh, having that conversation with him. And, And, you know, something that people don't necessarily hear are the conversations you have with superstars and athletes, because we also have interviewed plenty of athletes ourselves in our uh, work life before the recorder starts. And we had a great little you know, conversation with him that we brought back into the interview about the million dollar championship and the way he spoke about it initially, you could just see like the joy in his face. And, you know, he's very similarly aged uh, to yours truly. And you're certainly, Chris, a little bit younger uh, than both of us. But for him to light up in that way, you can tell he actually loves this. Like he he enjoys being a professional wrestler. He enjoys being a WWE superstar and being put in many of the situations that he has been. You can see him light up as well uh, when we talked about being in the ring with The Undertaker. And certainly the question I asked about rubbing shoulders with John Cena and some others backstage. Um, he, he He's a lot more of a humble guy than I expected him to be, despite the character. You know, people say that these in-ring characters are the best ones, at least, are the regular person's personality turned up to 12 or 15. And you can see where that comes through with him, but it really feels like it's almost him dialed up to 20 because he was a lot more mild-mannered, I would say, uh, than I initially expected during our conversation. Yeah, I mean, there were parts where he wanted to toot his own horn and said he was going to keep tooting. but Rightly so, it's. there is a it's a mix of confidence, but also kind of understanding where he came from, you right. know, working for so long before kind of getting to that spot, being told various things, getting not connecting with certain people for whatever reason on, on certain things. So it is I think that's why he connects with the fans so much, because he can say. I didn't have a, a dad in the business. I didn't you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't get this push. I didn't get that. Yada, yada. Like he literally worked his way up to this point basically on his own and everybody can connect with that 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 is the ultimate uh baby face you want to connect with this guy who was never given anything and he worked his way to this top and he feels like confident and you want to feel confident because he's confident and so i think that that came across in the interview because it's real that's the thing he didn't leave the confident sorry 
That's the thing. He didn't leave the confidence at the door. He left the cockiness out the door. So that is where he ratchets it up on television. But in reality, yeah, as you said, you can feel that confidence kind of permeate. And that's a good thing. Obviously, it's good to be confident in normal life, but it's certainly good uh, if you're a professional wrestler and a WWE superstar. I think you and I need to have a conversation uh, about his answer to the key question of this interview, which was uh, my inquiry regarding his tenure in NXT uh, and getting over. Mm. I would say, you know, not to like do the Barry Horowitz and pat myself on the back. I'd say he kind of agreed with me though. Now that's a little bit different, right? Because you're saying for you as a viewer, he hit from you right away. And that's your prerogative, no question. You saw the talent and you saw the potential there at the very beginning. But I do think he kind of sided with me a little bit where he said, hey, you know, at the beginning, it wasn't, I wasn't really doing much. And what I was doing, maybe it was connecting with a portion of the fans, but not really with the fans in mass. But it wasn't until he got deep into that feud three, four months into his tenure and then eventually made that babyface turn. And I always cite the babyface turn as when that character really works for me so much better as a babyface than a heel. Um, he did cite that that is when he thought things kind of took off for him. So I think if we have to award a W or an L, I hate to say it to you, Vintage, I think I get the W here. Well, I, I just, I think you and I had different views on it. It wasn't connecting with you what he was doing early on um, until, like he said, he kind of got a purpose and got some stories. I knew him from TNA. I knew him from Eli Drake and all the stuff he did there. So I naturally was just like, I've seen this guy a lot before. His charisma always works for me. Even if he doesn't have a story going on, I just want to see him. And I think that has kind of been backed up by the first half of this year for LA Knight. Even when he wasn't doing anything, people were starting to connect and connect. And then once he got a story, something to jump into, everybody kind of came on board. Did you, did you? Were you familiar with him at all pre-NXT? I mean, yeah. like, other than knowing who he was, but had you watched him much? Yes, but not to a significant degree, because I did watch NWA for a short period of time. Um, when he mm -hmm. did Shoes of the Champion promo, I never saw that live, but that was a clip that I had seen at some point. And I was aware, I was way more aware of him from TNA, uh, just some of the work he yeah. had done there. But I was never a viewer of those programs without any regularity. So that's one, just like, you know, honestly, even AJ Styles before... He went to WWE just to draw a comparison. I knew him and I had seen many of his matches in Japan, no question. But if you told me like, what's this guy's character arc and who did he feud before he feuded with this person? I couldn't give you those answers. So I did not know him like that as a character. And yeah. for me, it was largely LA Knight debuting was fresh, I would say. Yeah, so, so like, I, I guess you can get the W in the sense that it's not wrong to say that his first few months in NXT didn't have much to it. And then once he kind of got into something, it turned. Well, and th that's for, I've, I've, the th point th that's was, where we, that's to be clear. That is what you had normally been saying. I used to be ribbing you saying you didn't believe in LA Knight and yada, yada. Oh yada, yeah. It was always a rib. You would, al course, you would yeah. always said, you would always said he, you know, he's clearly got talent, but he's just not doing anything that's interesting. So we've kind of flip-flopped. Yeah, my, my take <laughs> was... I try to defend myself. My take at the beginning was, yes, he, he this guy clearly has Mike talent. Like, it, it's undeniable that he had that. But number yeah. one, it wasn't clicking for me. I didn't like the name on top of everything mm -hmm. else. And then 
it, it just because he wasn't involved in anything, he wasn't able to sink his teeth into anything. Once he got into mm-hmm. that feud with Cameron Grimes and started taping the vignettes and working with Million Dollar Man, then it was like, okay, there's there's definitely something to this. But even kind of coming out of that Cameron Grimes feud, it was like, okay, he's in, I, I know he he said like, hey, we're just two white guys who can talk on the mic. But it was like, oh, okay, he's just kind of like another Miz type of guy. Like he, there's nothing really that different there other than the fact that he has charisma. And then for me, when he turned babyface, we saw what mm-hmm. the LA Knight character could be. And that realization is why when he then got called up and became Max Dupree, we just couldn't believe it because like clearly, and he said this, yeah. LA Knight was working. So why would you take something that's working to such a degree, bring the person up to the main roster and change him into a manager just because he happens to be 39 years old? It's absolutely ridiculous. And we railed on that at the time, but the, the babyface LA Knight in NXT, and I do wish we had more time because I would have loved to have asked him about the transition. He briefly mentioned it from like black and gold to 2.0. Was he worried about losing his spot because of his age? All those types of things. Um, but when he became a babyface, that is when it became clear to me, there is something here. And if they strap a rocket, they can go pretty far. I do want to clarify one yeah. thing. When I'm bringing up this conversation with you, there's something that you need to remember here. This is my show, my show. So I'm allowed to try to get W's over you when it's my show. Now, you're, of course, (laughs) co-host of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, so I'm not minimizing you in any way. Uh, But I do have the uh, power to play sound drops like that uh, and and make my point. So but no, I I wanted to have a fun conversation with you. Um, It is one of the few things that we have actually disagreed on for the extended time, the three years plus that we've done this show, 504 episodes that we've done this show. So I did think it would be fun to kind of revisit it while we're actually on the line with him. Um, And I I do think he actually agreed with both of us to a degree. It's like, look, it didn't change the character much, but yes, clearly once I sunk my teeth into something, it began hitting way better than it did before. And that's really what the genesis of our conversation was back three years ago. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I just, I had seen him in TNA and do these other things. I knew he was exactly what W, he was perfect for WWE. He always felt like a WWE guy in TNA when he talks about being a TV wrestler and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, like, when he came into NXT, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, like he's not doing all that much here, but like, I can just see it. I've seen it before. He will work here. They just need to like figure it out. Yeah. And then they did in NXT. And then they didn't at the beginning with Max Dupree, even though I like Max Dupree. <laughs> I didn't. And then they did I, he, I think he and, hates and it way more. I think he hates it way more than he realizes. Fan, like, he hates like, it. I, like, like fans, like it. fans like us, we saw it and we're like, oh, I cannot believe this is what they're doing with him. But when he was on screen doing the close talking stuff with Adam Pierce, it was funny. Like it, 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 it yeah. was good. And obviously, like. When you're a wrestler, and he said this on other interviews, which is why we didn't ask him about Max Dupree here, he has said, look, I was willing to do whatever because they're my employer and I wanted to have my job and I, you know, I'm willing to give anything a shot, but clearly I like being myself turned up to 15 then I like being someone else. And Max Dupree was someone else. Um, Do I think it could have worked? Like, actually, yeah, I do think it could have worked. Am I happier that he's away from Max Dupree? Absolutely. That does bring me, Chris, to there were two questions that I actually cut from our interview because we were running out of time and didn't get a chance to ask him. One was whether the close talking stuff 
with Adam Pierce. Whether that was inspired by Seinfeld and the Close Talker episode mm-hmm. and whether that's where he got the idea from or whoever got the idea from, I wanted to ask him that. That was one. And number two, I wanted to obviously ask him about this. going to look good, but she's got me saying, hey now. And I think it's clear by the fact that we did the interview that obviously, and we joked, let me be very, very clear. When we've said this in the past, we were joking about it. But it was like, clearly he listens to this show if he's dropping Hey Now uh, on NXT. But what I wanted to ask him is, hey, was that Howard Stern? Was that Larry Sanders show? Did you just happen to say Hey Now? You know, where did that come from as well? So we didn't get the chance to ask him those questions. But as I said at the end of the interview, I surely hope that we talk to him again. And if we do, we can bring some of those back. Yes, um, to, to, to all of that. Um, love the drops. He's added a lot to the show. I think Max Dupree would have worked because he's just a really talented guy and he makes things work and he's been making things work for right. a long time. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a couple other things we wanted to get to. I, most interesting to me was, and I'm glad we asked it, mm-hmm. which I hadn't actually, I don't know if I'd seen anywhere else, why he's LA Knight, like the name, like where that came from. I have always maintained you could just at some point tell us his name is like Larry Andrews Knight or something like that. He just goes by LA <laughs> or, or something. Right. Because like Bray Wyatt in that promo was like, who names their son Los Angeles? And it's like, exactly. it's such an obvious thing. I'm surprised they've never just like answered it and moved on. Uh, he didn't want to, he didn't want to say, which was interesting. He wanted, he wanted to keep that one close to the fest. And so it made me more intrigued. For sure. And yeah, I mean, that was really when we talked about like our disagreement about him back in the day, that was one of my main criticisms. It was like the the theme's great. The look's great. The promos are great. What the hell does L.A. Knight mean? And we both work in sports, Chris and I. So and I'm not a huge hockey fan by any means, but literally whenever I heard that name for the first like four months of his existence in NXT, I thought L.A. Kings, Las Vegas Knights, L.A. Knight. Like it was (laughs) <laughs> it was every single time. And, and the logo has, it's a night. It's literally just a night. And I was like, okay, so he's related to the hockey team. Is there a partnership with the NHL? So I, I know probably going to have to ask him that question out of an interview setting to get the real answer behind it. It kind of seems like he wanted to be LA and maybe had other back end names that he wanted to add to that. And then the NXT folks were like, here's a list of five, pick one. <laughs> and that's going to be your name. And he chose mm-hmm. Knight. Like that's kind of what it felt like his answer was. But, you know, look, now it's fine. He's over. It doesn't really matter. But there was a period of time where I was like, is this a hockey guy? Like, what exactly is he the goon part three? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I look, it works. Like you said, like the three things works and it's such a weird name. And we don't even honestly think about it anymore. Right. Because right. we're just we enjoy him. I mean, I'm trying to think like, did Stone Cold Steve Austin sound weird when it first started or like no. The Rock? I, well, he, I, don't I mean, know. let's remember so, it was the it, ringmaster, Steve Austin, or actually yeah. it, was, it was the ringmaster, period. <laughs> and yeah. then it eventually became Stone Cold Steve Austin. Rocky Maivia certainly didn't sound weird. The Rock obviously was far better. There are people who have started with names. I mean, look, Dolph Ziggler is a ridiculous name. It, they, yeah. you know, I've talked about this numerous times, probably on my old show. But th- he was hamstrung from the moment he got that name. How are you going to be successful with a name that's a takeoff of um, that famous movie about the male porn star? I'm forgetting it off the top of my head. But like Dirk Diggler was what it was a takeoff of. How are yeah, you yeah, yeah. How yeah. are you going to be successful as a professional wrestler with that name? Dolph made it work, but I do believe it hamstrung him from the very beginning. So there are definitely other names where at first, I mean, 
I'll tell you right now, you know, not to like crap on WWE creative after they just gave us a great interview with LA Knight, but the name Braun Breaker to me just doesn't make any sense. Like Braun, fine, mm-hmm. but the guy's last name, you know, it's a kayfabe name, Steiner. Why couldn't he be Braun Steiner? Or I think initially his name was Rex Steiner. Great names. Mm-hmm. Why is he Breaker? Like, you know, what is that? So there are names like that where as you kind of watch people come up in wrestling where you're just like, man, that name just doesn't really hit. But I'll tell you this, five years from now, if Braun Breaker is in a major intercontinental title match or maybe even a world title match at WrestleMania 44, we're not going to be talking about his name being a little odd. Yes. And I, I think we've reached that point, you know, I have with with LA Knight. Um, but yeah, there's still a little mystery to it. Yeah, no question about it. So look, Chris, uh, I appreciate you being part of these last two interviews, of course, with the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, and the megastar, L.A. Knight. If anyone missed our Brian Danielson interview, just go back into the feed. Go check uh, episode 500. That's where we sit down two-on-one with Danielson. We also, from this past weekend, have NXT No Mercy and AEW Wrestle Dream Instant Analysis Podcast. Earlier this week on Tuesday, we had your WWE Fastlane Ultimate Preview, along with a full breakdown of the week in WWE. Of course, this coming Thursday, we'll have an NXT and AEW episode. And there's suddenly a lot of interesting stuff to talk about uh, regarding that show that I should be saying NXT next week. So be sure to tune into Thursday's episode here. And then as mentioned on Saturday, Vintage will be back with the Silver King for your WWE Fastlane instant analysis as soon as that show goes off the air. On the way out, Let's hit those reminders first that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, but also to vote in our pre- and post-show polls for WWE Fastlane. On Twitter, at Getting Overcast, you can also send us DMs and tweets that we will consider for inclusion on the show, whether they're questions or comments. You want to ask questions for the last word segment. I think we ran through about a dozen of those on episode 500, so I think we're pretty much all out. Uh, so feel free to send in more last word questions. Uh, you can also email us, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Not only questions and comments, but if you want to promote anything on the show, again, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Let's also remember... I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month, 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus instant reaction audio. You will get news posts and your financial contributions will help the continuation of this show, will help support Vintage and the Silver King as well. Chris, once again, thank you for joining everyone out there. Thank you for listening for Vintage. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.